Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Good afternoon and welcome here to Soul to Soul on 101.9 Hi FM. I'm Barry Keeman and it's great to be with you here this wonderful afternoon. Today, I would like to take you into a very special date that appears on the Jewish calendar next week. Now, it might be a date that you're not so familiar with. It is called Chai Elul. And Chai Elul, the 18th day in the month of Elul, is a very important day. Not that everyone exactly realizes its importance, but it is the birthday of two great luminaries. In 1698, it's the day on which the Baal Shem Tov, who later, at the age of 36, founded the Hasidic movement in 1734, and it is also the day on which, in 1745, the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, the founder of the Chabad movement, was born as well. So, again, it is an important day on the Jewish calendar because it's the day when the Hasidic movement, so to say, was born. I guess one could ask, what is a Hasid? Is it someone who wears a black hat and payas? Is it a person who is extra ultra-Orthodox? Maybe so from, you know, I have a friend who used to joke with me that he's so from, he always brings Shabbos in early on Tuesday. Or he doesn't even carry in the Erev because he's so from that he won't even let his voice carry in the Erev. Or this guy, he doesn't just wear a yarmulke, he wears a shaitel too. Okay, all jokes aside, what is it that really makes a chassid? Is it somebody who really observes all the halachas, Jewish laws, so carefully? Maybe it's a person who who will spare no effort to go out there and bring shmura matzah to a Jew halfway across the world, middle of nowhere. As we all know, many chassidim, and the truth is, many Jews do. Or maybe it's some kind of a mystic with eyes trained to see the godliness that is inherent in all of reality. So there's perhaps so many different identities that could all be described as a chassid. And the truth is that since the Hasidic movement started in 1734, it has really changed the lives of so many people, so many individuals. The question, though, you could ask is, what is it all about? What is the secret recipe for the enthusiasm and the joy that really characterizes Hasidim? So hopefully, we could take some time here today. And I invite you to join me on Monday morning at 10 a.m., live on Zoom, where I will be doing a presentation about this very special day, Chayel. And you will be able to join me along with texts that I will post in our PowerPoint presentation and videos that I will share that will perhaps really illustrate and highlight the philosophy of Hasidus. And hopefully you could really gain a proper understanding of the life-changing contribution that Hasidus has brought to Judaism and the real very practical application that one can take and live by with the mystical teachings that Hasidus offers. 
because the truth is Hasidus is a way of life. It's not just a philosophy. It is not just teachings. And I think if we could spend some time together to learn about the ideas of Hasidus, what the movement was about, and perhaps even to talk a little bit, why there was some opposition to the movement or very strong and vehement opposition to the movement in its earlier days. And then we could really tap into what it was, what it is, and really to understand how all these qualities, all these ideas really embody the life of a chassid. Because when when we see a chassid going out of the way to help somebody, you know, we realize, well, that has something to do with what being a chassid is. And when we see a chassid who is so enthusiastic and joyous in their prayers or contemplating deeply in what they're praying, that it has something to do with what it means to be a chassid. Obviously, there's some association between these qualities, these traits, these this personality and chassidim. So what or who is the chassid? The one who's willing to go all the way out there and help someone out? Yeah, that's part of it. Okay? And maybe the one who's got that joyous infection, I mean a positive type of, or maybe negative, whatever, you know what I mean, positive. Nobody wants uh, infections these days, but I'm saying infectious positivity. Again, not the one you need a face mask for, right? So, what is a chassid maybe isn't the right question. Maybe we got to take it a little deeper. What is it that chassidus offers that inspires that joyousness and that one's prayer is done the right way and that one's religious observance, it's not just some kind of superficial religious fanaticism, but it is genuine and real and the love of people is a what Judaism is about. So what is it the Hasidus teaches that we can learn from to try to become the very best we are? And I think it's a question worth asking, especially now when the world really seems more than ever in need of some radical change. If life wasn't exactly simply simple the way it was before COVID era, it really is not very simple now. You know, all the challenges and quirks and all the problems and struggles that this has brought with it. So I think as we are coming out of our quarantines, some still in it, and you got to do what's best and safe for you, we really had to think things as basic as what community means and what role human interaction plays in our life. You look at our economy, the RAND has plummeted and globally this has become a real situation and mental health. It's a serious crisis these days. I was talking with a lawyer the other day who's describing to me the divorce rate, how it's just skyrocketed. Unfortunately, there are so many problems that the world 
has faced with this pandemic. And believe me, I'm not going to pretend that we can cure all these issues by becoming Hasidic. That's not my point. But we have seen that some of the traits, the qualities of Hasidim, or what Hasidus teaches at least, because, you know, don't confuse some Jews with Judaism and don't confuse some Hasidim with Hasidism. And after all, we're all human beings, and sometimes we all maybe stray. But I think that the Hasidic approach to life certainly can add something, some positivity to the world, to our lives today. You know, if we've ever thought that, wow, going out of your way to help someone else out really brings beauty into the world, or if only I, I could have a little more enthusiasm and joy and, and zest for life, well, I think it's really worth exploring what really Hasidus is about and why would it serve as the common denominator for these various behaviors and traits. Throughout the history of Hasidism, this really was a question that people have been asking for the last 250 years. It was asked of Hasidim and of the Hasidic leaders, the Rebbe's themselves. Stories, there's so many stories in Hasidic lore of when various non-Hasidic Jews approach the Hasidic leaders to try to understand what is it that Hasidus has to offer. And mashpim, Hasidic mentors, they would repeat these various anecdotes of Hasidim who really pressed the Rebbe's for deeper understanding of the framework to understand what is behind all these teachings and customs. What is it about? So there were many times that certain Rebbe's were questioned even by non-Jewish officials about their beliefs. And there were times that Hasidim and the Hasidic movement actually came under government scrutiny, under tremendous investigation. And sometimes, sadly, these investigations were instigated by fellow Jews. So there are many such stories, and perhaps one of them that I could share with you was in the year 1843 in Russia when the Tsar's Ministry of Jewish Affairs convened a special rabbinic conference for the purpose of instituting various reforms for Jewish life in Russia. And unfortunately, such conferences actually were not really concerned so much with the physical safety or the economic welfare of the Tsar's Jewish subjects. But their aim was to try and impose more of the Russian way of life on the Jewish community by mixing into the Jewish internal affairs. And an unfortunate reform that the government proposed at that particular conference was that they wanted to outlaw the Hasidic movement in Russia. They had information that it was counter-revolutionary or whatever the accusation was. And so they had this conference that they invited the rabbis to where they were going to impose the new rules. Now, why would they, why would the authorities even do such a thing? Why would they want to do such a thing? Were they suddenly so concerned with Jewish theology that they want to, so to say, choose one stream of Judaism over another? 
I don't think that was the case. But it was more political than that. It was to try and frame the Tzamech Tzedek, the Lubavitch Rebbe at the time, and by banning the teachings, the way of life that he stood for, the government knew that he would have no choice. He would stand up boldly and oppose their efforts. He would be vocal in his opposition. And it could be expected that he would say something that was considered uh, wrong, treasonous. You never know what accusation. And if it's considered revolutionary, then... He could be imprisoned. Well, it wasn't just the Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzedek, who was invited. There were other representatives of other factions of the Jewish community who were invited as well. And at this conference, they were all there. It started in May. In the months before that, they in fact had investigators sent to the town of Lubavitch to see the Rebbe's activities. And this actually caused the Rebbe tremendous heartache that he's being investigated in this way. But when he came to the conference, he was the one who really stood up. He was tall and strong and his opinion vocal. He was against the proposed reforms. And his bold statements actually caused him personal trouble during that time. But at the end of the day, at the conclusion of this meeting, which lasted three, four months... May through August, finally came to a remarkable close when the Minister of Education, the leader of the government's anti-Jewish efforts, withdrew all those anti-Semitic proposals. And the Rebbe himself was rewarded. He was awarded the a very prestigious title called Hereditary Honorable Citizen. It's a Tremendous honor from the Zor, from the, the Tsar's royal government. And if you go to Russia today, to St. Petersburg, you can see the plaque there in the, uh, the ministry buildings. You could see the plaque of that honorary award as hereditary honorable citizen that was granted to the Rebbe at that time. So that very same question that was asked by the government what did they ask? Judaism has been around for over 3,000 years. For generations, millions of Jews managed to study Torah, to adhere to the Torah and its mitzvahs. So what then has been the contribution of the Hasidic movement? And this is the question that I intend to discuss in great detail on our Monday morning Zoom, 10 a.m. You're most welcome to join us and... We'll have very interesting interactive discussion and various texts that we will explore to answer this very question. We'll be right back. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back to Soul to Soul. Here on 101.9 High FM, I'm Rabbi Ari Kiefman, and we were talking about a very special day that is coming up this Sunday evening, Monday, the 18th of Elul, Chai Elul, which is not only the yard site of the Maharal of Prague, but it is also the birthday of the Baal Shem Tov, founder of the Hasidic movement, and the Alter Rebbe Rabbi Shneir Zaman of the Adi, founder of the Chabad movement. 
And we were talking about the idea of what is Hasidus, what is a Hasid, what innovation, what something new did the Hasidic movement introduce? Judaism's around for thousands of years. Why the need for another movement and what was accomplished and achieved in the 300, nearly 300 years since the introduction of the Hasidic movement. And so to properly understand this, I first would like to, I guess, look at another aspect or the foundation on which the teachings of Hasidus, which inspires the Hasidic way of life, and that is Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism. Now, Kabbalah is, literally means something that was received. And it's referring to the concealed components of the Torah. Now, obviously, there's the Torah. And we call most of what we study in Torah, Nigla. And that is referring to the revealed aspects, the revealed Torah, such as Tanakh, the scriptures, and the Medrash, and the Talmud, which was preceded by the Mishnah and Halacha. And that deals primarily with how to believe and how to live as a Jew. But Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, goes much deeper. And it explores the more abstract ideas as the process, let's say, of divine creation. The spiritual DNA that lies behind all physical matter. The study of Kabbalah really enlightens a student as to what God is, what the soul is. It explores how and why the world was created to begin with and what exactly our purpose in this world actually is. Because the teachings of Kabbalah are so deep and sublime and abstract, Kabbalah really, for a very long time, remained out of the public sight. It wasn't something that people really engaged in. In fact, you might know one had to be at least 40 years of age in order to study Kabbalah. Not that that age is necessarily what the difference that will make, but hopefully by the age of 40, one has studied sufficient amounts of Torah that when they get to the deeper aspect, they have a full comprehensive understanding. So Kabbalah really wasn't something that was published in writing. It wasn't something that was taught to the masses because these sublime teachings really require one to have a great degree of knowledge, of understanding, and in a sense even guidance to properly understand it. Otherwise it could easily be misunderstood, misconstrued, and not beneficial. So all the way from the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, these secrets of the Torah was something that was Kabbalah. It was just received a tradition only by the select few, only by those very qualified who really had a good understanding of Torah and were spiritually sensitive. And this is something Maimonides talks about, the history of Kabbalah, how it came about. At the end of the day, we could all learn how to live a proper, robust Jewish life without ever studying Kabbalah. In Tanakh and in all the various works of the Talmud and Halacha and Medrash, we could learn exactly what to do and how to live a full, proper Jewish life.
it's quite easy to understand, you know, why for most of history, the vast majority of Jews never studied or even talked about or even necessarily aware even of the Kabbalistic mystical teachings of Torah. It was really not very well known. But in the 13th century, it was then that a foundational Kabbalistic work called the Zohar was published for the very first time in Spain. And according to tradition, the Zohar was actually authored centuries earlier by Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, one of the most frequently mentioned sages in the Mishnah and in the Talmud. Rabbi Shimon was always recognized for his greatness and his mastery of Jewish law. But he was also the authority in his time of the teachings and transmission of Kabbalah, which at the time he committed it to writing. And for a very long time, it was something that was not published, was not studied. It wasn't actually something that was well known at all. Only centuries later, when the Arizal, and if you join me Monday for our special program that will be broadcast live on Zoom and interactive discussion, will I take you through the history of the Arizal and his fascinating story of life and how he came to actually promote the teachings of Kabbalah, which obviously influenced the teachings of Hasidus. But without going now into all of that history, all the way to the time of the Baal Shem Tov, I would like to just look at the idea of how the Hasidic movement was so impacted by the study and emphasis on the teachings of Kabbalah in a very practical and real way. And that was the Baal Shem Tov, whose birthday is going to be celebrated this week on Chai El, that he made it his mission to teach those inner mystical teachings, to share the inner dimension to everyone. Even though previously it was something that was more secretive, more exclusive. So, how did the teachings of Kabbalah influence the teachings and the, the way of Hasidic life? Now, I want to share, it's a funny type of a analogy, but bear this in mind. There are many similarities in life between life and onions. <laughs> but one of them is that like an onion, there are many layers to life, many layers to Jewish life. You peel one off and you find another below and you have perhaps another appreciation of the one before. And likewise, I think with life, to understand and appreciate life and the world around us, we oftentimes have to peel away the various layers, layer after layer, and we discover and uncover so much of life that perhaps we didn't realize or appreciate before. 
everything in this world, everything in the human experience has all these various layers. And yes, sometimes we look at things superficially and we don't realize the depth behind it. But if you continue to explore and peel away at the existing paradigms, we always reach deeper and deeper and deeper. And this is something that, you know, even in science, this idea is, is so common, right? To the naked eye, take light as an example. Light just appears as a bright emanation from some light source, right? So if I'm right now, beautiful day looking outside, the sun is shining brightly on me. But a little bit more research, we realize that there's a lot more than that, as scientists know. Light is actually a form of electromagnetic radiation at a wavelength perceptible to the human eye. Light is something that's actually deeply complex. So you have waves and particles and I'm no scientist and I can't really pontificate about that. But we understand that when you study something, you get to the deeper layers of it. When you look... Something simple, right here on my desk. It's a wooden table. All you see is a board lying on top of four legs. And here is my computer, which I'm talking into broadcast today's show. But if you want to prod a little further, we can find that actually this table is a lot more unique. There's a combination of protons and electrons and neutrons zipping around at such fantastically high speeds. And all those protons, all those things are comprised of a deeper form of matter. And as you keep going, you uncover more layers. All you have to do is look. You're driving in your car now. It just looks like an automobile. But if you probe deeper, you realize the various layers. And everything that appears simple is never so simple. There's always deeper and deeper layers. And this, in essence, is really what Kabbalah is about. It's the art of peeling away the layers like the onion. In the Talmud and Jewish law, there are the outer layers teaching us how to physically shake the level and esrog, how to physically light Shabbos candles, how to eat matzah, all the things that we engage with our five senses. But the, when you study Kabbalah, we know how to peel even deeper. We peel off those outer layers as the Talmud, as the Mishnah and Talmud and Halacha teach us. And we find that beneath the surface, there's so much more. And it's so enlightening where we learn the why. Why does God tell us to do these things? How does that fit into our life? Ah, but there's a catch. You see, whenever you start peeling away the outer layers of reality and you uncover the deeper truths in it, sometimes lose touch with the outer layer. The deeper you explore, the more your mind shifts away from reality as you always knew it. To get into the very spiritual language of Kabbalah, right? To understand the various names of, of God, you know, Kabbalah is filled with deep mysticism. The process of creation that it describes, 
the different kinds of angels that exist. Sometimes we have to tune out a little bit from what we're already aware of. And we tune into the deeper spiritual reality. So what's the problem? You see, the awareness that all of a sudden we acquire of the godly reality remains a part of the awareness of the material reality. You basically always operate on one mode or the other. So, like when you're studying physics, we have the same phenomenon, right? As a physics student looks into the microscope and he finds what's really going on in rays of light or in the molecules that are on the table and the particles of your car, but no table because you're focused on the deeper part. When the microscope, when you take that, that, that uh, microscope away, all you see is a table, no particles, no protons and neutrons. So in the grand scheme of things, what you just learned changed so much. For the most part, you still just continue to see a table because these two worlds, the reality on the surface and the reality under the microscope, they don't merge. Now this is where Hasidus kicks in. Hasidus works. It's so different than just going into the depths of Kabbalah. The goal of Hasidus is for a person to not only become aware of the divine core of reality, but for that awareness to actually change our perception on the surface. Hasidus wants us to identify what's really going on and then to redefine it by every facet of our lives. So Hasidus is like actually just putting on a set of eyeglass lenses which allows us to see inside out. These lenses, they don't blur our view of the surface in favor for the core. We don't all of a sudden now see the protons, neutrons, electrons and forget the existence of the reality. But rather, we bring the surface sharply into focus in light of the core. That is the idea of Hasidus. Hasidus shows us the inside story when we look at a passage in the Chumash, when we explore a halach in the code of Jewish law, or a discussion, argument in the Talmud, or whatever custom. We don't sacrifice the simple meaning. Rather, we bring the simplicity, the simple meaning to life. Not only in Torah or Torah scholarship, but in every part and every aspect, every facet of our lives. When things, when, when things are seemingly dull, ugly, Hasidah shows us the divine beauty inside. It helps us redefine every aspect, every encounter, every experience of life as something very exciting and beautiful. When things seem beautiful and exciting, ah, Hasidus then helps us to define them as an integral part of a divine purpose. And this is why Hasidus puts such an important emphasis, not only on studying it cerebrally, it's not just an academic pursuit, but there's a concept in Hasidus called avoda.
Avodah is where we digest it. We make those teachings part of our lives. We train ourselves to see the spiritual reality as the reality. The inside-out approach becomes intuitive. It becomes our default way of thinking, the way we behave, the way we react to the world around us. We see purpose and meaning into everything. That's the basic difference between Kabbalah and Hasidus. Kabbalah is the bedrock, but it takes Hasidus takes it to a whole new level that we're able to see the material and physical realities actually influencing each other as one. And with that in mind, we can appreciate a little more of what Hasidus brings us, and we'll be right back. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Rabbi Ari Cuban. It's great being with you here this beautiful afternoon. And so far we've been talking about the special day, Chayel, coming up this Monday, the birthday of the Baal Shem Tov and the Hasidic movement that he started and introduced. And the teachings based on Kabbalah, but how different it is in a sense from Kabbalah, which focuses more on the inner dynamics of the universe, whereas Hasidus is a synthesis, a combination of both realities. And it's like a pair of glasses with which you see things in a sharply different and most beautiful way. Well, the question asked is, what is the story with Chabad. And interesting, the Baal Shem Tov started the Hasidic movement. So why is the Hasidic movement have so many movements within it? You could say the same about Judaism in a sense. Twelve streams, the twelve tribes, and each of their descendants, and each family has their own unique ways. Well, I'm not the spokesperson for any Hasidic movements. But I guess as a Chabad rabbi, I should share with you just a little insight about Chabad. And its place in the Hasidic movement. Now the story of Chabad also begins on this very special day on Chai Elul. Because it's the birthday, as I mentioned earlier, not only of the Baal Shem Tov in 1698, but, and also actually, when he founded the Hasidic movement in 1734. But it's also the birthday of the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shiner Zaman of Liadi, in 1745. And he was to become one of the important, prominent leaders of Hasidus, founding the Chabad approach, the Chabad philosophy, the Chabad way of life. You see, after the Baal Shem Tov's passing in 1760, he had a single successor, the Magad of Mezuch, Rabbi Adov Ber. And he assumed the leadership of the Hasidim. But unlike his predecessor, the Baal Shem Tov, who used to travel far and wide and bring the joy, the teachings of Hasidus and uplifting Jewish people wherever he went and that was so needed in that time. It was a very dark time in our history after the horrible pogroms that literally devastated much of Eastern Europe where approximately 300,000 Jews were murdered in 1648, 1649 in the years of Tach Vitat. And so it was so necessary to have to his movement, his new, t- his inspiration, his teachings. 
And I'll talk more about that in great detail and give you a taste of his teachings on Monday morning on our Zoom session that you're most welcome to join. You can just find it easily on the Chabad South Africa Facebook page where we're going to broadcast live Monday morning where you have a chance to learn some of the insights and teachings of Hasidus. We'll, of course, have videos and PowerPoint slides and keep it interactive with polls and your opinions and questions and discussions just to have everyone's involvement. So when the Magid passed away in 1772, that's when there was a shift within the Hasidic movement. Because what he did, instead of keeping the movement based where he was during his time, Rabbi Dovber instead <coughs> dispatched his students, his Talmidim, his Hasidim. He would send his followers to be ambassadors of the Hasidic movement, to be its emissaries, to bring the Hasidic way of life far and wide throughout Eastern Europe. And so after he passed away, that's exactly what happened. That style continued where each of his disciples, who were his ambassadors to these various places across Europe, they all set up shop and established their centers. And that's how we have so many different Hasidic movements and each one with its unique style. So Rabbi Shneir Zalman, the Alter Rebbe, he established his center in what was known then as White Russia. And that's where he basically paved the Chabad Hasidic path, which is unique in a sense among his colleagues, among the other students of Rabbi Dovber the Magid. So whereas the Baal Shem Tov and the Magid, and in fact most of their disciples, really espoused their deep ideas in brief, powerful thoughts, in moving parables and stories so people could understand and comprehend that it was very much accessible. The Alter Rebbe, he in a sense aimed to take the Kabbalistic kernel of these ideas and to develop them intellectually. The point was that the teachings shouldn't just remain abstract. They shouldn't just be something in the realm of inspiration but they should become firmly grounded within the person. And this was his way of teaching. And in fact, you see that <coughs> the very meaning of the name of the movement that he started, Chabad, Chachma Bina Das. We'll talk more about that in our Zoom session. But the word Das means it's about connection, about implementation, about making it real in our life. So the Hasidus of his predecessors, the Baal Shem Tov, the Magid and, and their other successors was built on deeply mystical ideas but they spoke in inspirational ways they spoke straight to the heart it wasn't so much the mind but remember Hasidism as it was introduced by the Baal Shem Tov, was geared for everyone remember even the unlearned, the most simple, illiterate people, the Baal Shem Tov tried to engage them. That they didn't need to be intellectually academic and they would still have an appreciation. And so, for them, Hasidus was delivered emotionally. It would wake up, it would awaken that passion within them, with that spark in the soul. 
And not to limit it to that, the Alter Rebbe felt that he was going to take it a step further and engage the intellect, the mind, as well as the emotion. He felt that firstly, inspired ideas without proactive intellectual involvement leaves a, a part of a person out of the experience. It means the heart is inspired, it's awakened. But to a degree, the mind is not changed. And therefore, the ideas aren't really fully assimilated into the totality. They don't permeate every fiber of our being. Another important thought was that the emotions born of that inspiration, but not firmly anchored to their underlying philosophy, then it becomes a little bit transient. And maybe this was after a number of years of seeing how Hasidus was impacting and influencing so many, that he felt that it shouldn't just be something that you feel and, and then the inspiration passes. But rather he wanted it to impact a person to the very fiber of their being in a way that when you could really articulate the point that inspires you, that it becomes inseparable, becomes a real part of you. And so, to solve this, these concerns, these thoughts, the Alter Rebbe developed the Chabad philosophy, that approach where the mind was engaged, where the matters were logically explained, and that's where he came up with the name Chabad, Chachma Bina Das. It's an acronym. And that's three stages of the intellectual process where the information and the inspiration are now translated into integration. And when we're able to take the inspirational teachings of Hasidus, and now they're not only impacting our mind, but we through the mind it's channeled into the rest of our being. Mayach Shalit where our mind then infuses it into a powerful, lasting, and transformative experience to our entire being. That was the idea of the Chabad approach. And so, when we learn Hasidus, it's not something new. It's looking at the Torah itself. We're experiencing, so to say, an aha. That, that moment where things begin to resonate, where it becomes a real part of my life, where we become aware of a harmonic voice that was always there, but we weren't always able to hear. And that's the common denominator by all the various Hasidic customs that we see that inspire Hasidim. And a chassid really wants to live by his inner calling. So that's why the chassid perhaps will spend more time in prayer and will be more involved in observance of the mitzvah. Because prayer is an opportunity to recalibrate the world around us with the world within us. On a soul level, we're all one. And that's why we care for each other. That's why we have Fabrengans to gather and inspire each other. And that's why we have a Rebbe, 
a leader. A Rebbe is a tzaddik who always helps us to see the world around us with the right lenses. So that's perhaps why Hasidim tend to be happy and joyous all the time. A famous Arab, uh, there's a famous Arab proverb that says, Yom Masal, Yom Basal. Maybe I don't know if my Arabic pronunciation is correct. But it means a day of honey today, a day of onions tomorrow. The Chassid knows that a great day is a day of honey. But a bad day isn't a day of trash. It's a day of onions. If we could see through the various layers and find the inside story, the whole picture changes. We're able to go deeper and uncover the realities of life and understand, yes, it's a difficult time. There's a coronavirus. We're quarantined. There's isolation. We're getting back to shuls. But there's a message coming from above. And maybe if we could study the Torah through those lenses, we could see exactly what those messages are for each of us. So if we look at life and see that what Hasidus shows us, the various features and layers. You know, in an, un- in an onion, it's impossible to find a layer below without peeling away the layer above. And so Hasidus teaches us that to really truly arrive uh, to a deeper understanding of life and the world around us, we have to peel away layer after layer. Everything in the universe and everything in our personal experience is made up of all these layers. And true, superficially, someone looking at it might just see the outermost peel. But if you continue to explore and you peel away the existing paradigms, you always reach a much deeper insight. And just like we saw in the rules of physics, Hasidus teaches us that our reality of the world around us as well, if we look deep enough, what we're going to see is that life itself has so many, so many layers. And let's try to tap into those layers. You know, a diamond in the rough is still a diamond. Even if it's uncut, even if it doesn't have the right setting yet you still have to see the potential that it has and I think that's really an important message and lesson for all of us is to focus on and appreciate the blessings we have and to see the various layers of life so join me on Monday where I will give you beautiful examples share with you some Hasidic teachings put on some special video imagery that will give you the history very briefly because we're going to try to do this all within 90 minutes and share with you the inspiration of this special day. Chai, the life of El. Because on Chai El, it marks 12, the beginning of the 12 last days of our Jewish year just before Rosh Hashanah. And Rosh Hashanah marks the creation of man. So each of these 12 days symbolizes each one another month. And each, for each of those months, we try to do our part, our best, to rectify whatever shortcomings, whatever failures we may have had. 
Because as we know, perhaps another powerful teaching that Hasidus tells us is, you are not a failure just because you failed. Failure is, failing is maybe getting knocked down. Failure is only if you stay down. Hasidus inspires us and teaches us to peel away the layers, to find the depth, the meaning, and appreciation for everything that happens, and then to get up and move on to the next layer. Looking forward to see you then. Please, God, wishing you all a wonderful day, a fabulous Shabbos, and God bless you. Carpe diem.